We're going to take a look this morning at another story from the Gospel of John. And this time what we're going to look at is the story of Lazarus and what Jesus did with Lazarus. Lazarus was probably one of Jesus' best friends. He was not a disciple among the 12 disciples, but he was, along with his sisters, Mary and Martha, they were like second family to Jesus. Uh, I mean, in some ways, first family. Uh, They were so close to Jesus, and this is a story of Lazarus. But I don't want to start there. Because this story of Lazarus is really important in the Gospel of John and and important in what John is trying to tell us. And so it's really fun and interesting, at least for me, to kind of see where this fits in. So I want to start near the end of the Gospel of John in John 20, reading verses 30 and 31, okay? This is what John says to us. He says, Jesus performed many other signs, and that's John's words for miracles, okay? Jesus performed many other miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, all right? Jesus did a whole bunch of stuff, he said, but I've only recorded these. But these, the seven, John tells us about seven miracles. The seven signs, the seven miracles I've told you about are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so what John says is that Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles, but I've picked out seven. I've picked out seven of them because I think if you look at these seven, you will become believers. These are the seven that will most push you to believe, to understand who Jesus is, to understand what Jesus has done. And, and so those signs are really important for John. Now, one of the things that's interesting to notice is that John tells us all of these miracles of Jesus, all of the signs of Jesus in the first half of his book, the first 11 chapters. In fact, a lot of people suggest, and I think they're right, that the Gospel of John has two main parts. Okay, it has two main parts, and the first one we might call the book of signs, all right? The book of miracles, the book of life. It's John 1 through 11, and in this part of the book, Jesus is saying things like John 10, 10, I am the life. or excuse me, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. That's John 10, 10. Jesus is talking about life. He's showing that there's life and he does seven miracles, okay? If you want to know what they are real quick, here they come. He turns the water into wine, chapter two. The healing of the royal officer's son, chapter four. The healing of the paralyzed man, chapter five. He feeds the 5,000 in chapter six. Walking on water, chapter six. The one we looked at last week, healing the man born blind, chapter 9, and then this one about Lazarus in chapter 11. There's not a test. You don't have to memorize where they all are or anything, but I just thought you might want to know. So he's kind of done this, and the first way, kind of interesting. First one's water into wine, and then he's opening. I mean, they kind of increase, and, and he comes to this last one, and it's a really important sign, okay? It's a really important miracle in understanding who Jesus is. The second half of the book can be called the book of the cross, or the book of glory, and that's John 12 to 21. So what we have is, is for 11 chapters, John tells us about how Jesus brings life, and then from 12 to the end, it's all focused on the cross. And, and the cross for John is the place of glory. And so this, this miracle, what I want to suggest, is the seventh sign, the Lazarus sign, is, is a couple of important things. One, it's, it's the ultimate sign, okay? This is the most important miracle Jesus does. And, and, and we need to kind of recognize that. And, and you'll see, I think, hopefully by the time I get done speaking this morning, you kind of understand how it's that ultimate sign. But it's also the hinge of the entire Gospel of John, okay? It's this, this is where things transition. And it's this miracle, I think, that causes the transition. And so that's what I want to help you see today. The, it goes from the first part of the book, which is Jesus brings life, to the second part of the book, which is what does it cost Jesus? to bring us life, okay? From Jesus brings us life, but John wants us to know what it cost Jesus 
to bring us life. All right, the setting. There are kind of three places where this story is going to take place. Bethany of Judea, Bethany of Perea, and then Jerusalem. Let me show you where they are. I got a map here. And this map is kind of fun for me because it gives you just a picture of how many mountains and hills there are in Israel. Israel is everything. You see where it says the Jordan River there? Israel is everything on this side of it. And you can see it's mountains all over the place. It's not very flat except for in the way south. But other than that. And so Jerusalem is there um, on, on top of one of the mountains. In the Bible, we always go up to go to God. Okay, Jerusalem is up. God is aliyah is the word in in Hebrew. Aliyah, God is up. God is above us. And so Jerusalem is there. And we're going to come to Jerusalem at the very end of the story, okay? Most of the story is going to take place in this city here called Bethany of Judea, which is less than two miles away from Jerusalem. Okay, it's less than two miles away from Jerusalem. You kind of go down the Mount of Olives and you come up and that's where you come to Jerusalem. Now, just let me tell you something that will help us stick this away in your mind. For Jesus, Jerusalem is dangerous, okay? Jerusalem is, is dangerous. The last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him. So when Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he'd actually stay in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Bethany was safe. It was close, but Bethany was always kind of the safe place for Jesus. Jerusalem was the dangerous place. Mary and Martha and Lazarus all live in Bethany, and that's where the story is going to spend the middle part, the most of the time of the story. But where Jesus is at the, as the time the story begins is this city called Bethany of Perea, or Bethany across the Jordan, okay? You see where the Jordan River is? After Jesus, in chapter 10, uh, they attempt to stone him, Jesus and his disciples, they say, let's take a break. And they go across the Jordan River to the place where John baptized, which was there called Bethany of Perea. That's uh, kind of about where it is. It's not completely sure, but that's where it is, okay? So that kind of gives you an idea. It's, it's less than two miles from Jerusalem to Bethany. It's about 15 miles or an eight-hour walk from Bethany of Perea up to, Jerus- up to Bethany, the other Bethany, okay? So it's about a one-day's walk, Okay? So that's where Jesus and his disciples are. This is what happened. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany of Judea, the village of Mary and his sister and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay, that's the kind of love and devotion they have to Jesus. They are very committed. Jesus stays in their home. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, okay? Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. And that's how our story starts, right? Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Lord, the lo- one you love is sick. A couple of things that I want us to, to notice here, and this is not the main point, but these are so important for us to understand. The first thing I want us to kind of just grasp at this point is that in a broken world, in a broken world, even the people Jesus loves get sick. Isn't that interesting? Lord, the one you love is sick. I think sometimes we get taught and caught up in saying, well, if, if God loves me, if Jesus loves me, then nothing bad should happen to me. If Jesus loves me, then I'm sure he's going to take care of me. And if I'm going through an illness, or if God is not bringing healing, or if I lose a loved one, or if my marriage falls, then it must be that God is angry at me. Then it must be that Jesus doesn't love me anymore. Then it must be. No, guess what? This is his best friend. And, and, and it's not because Lazarus did anything wrong. I mean, he's a sinner like the rest of us. But, but, but it's not that Lazarus did anything special. It's not that Jesus was upset with him. Three times we're going to be told how much Jesus loves Lazarus. But here he is, the one Jesus loves. They didn't even give his name, right? Lord, the one you love. They don't even have to use his name. They just say the one you love. And they know Jesus will know who it is. And, and we need to recognize, friends, 
that we live in a broken world. And, and it's not just the case, and we shouldn't let anybody tell us, and we shouldn't fall into the trap and say, well, if I'm sick, it must be that, that Jesus doesn't love me anymore. It must be No, in a broken world, even the people Jesus loves get sick, okay? We are not guaranteed that things will go fine for us in this world. The fact is, we get sick, people we love get sick, and people Jesus loves get sick as well. The other thing I want us to notice right here at this point is this, that, that Mary and Martha... I think this is interesting. Mary and Martha simply tell Jesus about this, and they assume he'll know what to do. Uh, interesting to think about what this says about prayer. And I don't want to make too much of this because this isn't a, a, parable or a story about prayer. But, but it's interesting, you know, sometimes, again, people will say to us, when you pray, you've got to tell God exactly what you need. You've got to tell God exactly what you want and when you want it. They don't do that. They just say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And, and they say... They they know that Jesus loves him. They know that Jesus wants the best for Lazarus. And so all they do is tell him about it. And I wonder sometimes if we don't worry too much about saying, I got to ask for this in prayer, and I got to ask for that in prayer. And God is more looking for us just to pour out our hearts. Say, Lord, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. God, I don't know what, I, I don't even know what to ask for, but it's just not right. And, and, and so it's just a little interesting thing to notice. Again, they, 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 they just, you know, they don't say, Jesus, this is what we want you to do. They just let him know. They just inform him. So that's where the story starts. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. Jesus is there in Bethany of Perea. And then Jesus responds. And it's really interesting the way he responds, okay? When he heard this, Jesus answered, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Interesting. Okay. It's not going to end in death, okay? And then these words. <laughs> now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We're told that again, right? Therefore, so, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he went immediately to him. No. <laughs> so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That sounds just a little strange to me. If I tell you how much I love you and you say I'm in the hospital, I say it, cool, I'll see you in two days. No, I, I mean, if I love you, I'm going to come right now. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus waits two days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So Jesus responds three things real quickly just to notice. Put them in the back of your head. We'll pick them up later in the story. But he says, this sickness will not end in death. So the disciples say, okay, Lazarus is going to be fine. But still, you'd think that Jesus would go to see him, right? I mean, visit his good friend who's really sick, but he waits two days because he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And in the Greek, it's, it's very clear. This is a therefore, all right? And, and, and I want to just stop there for a second. Because again, if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, if we put ourselves in this story in Mary and Martha's shoes, and even in Lazarus's shoes, if we put ourselves in that, what Jesus does seems terribly strange. And in some ways, inappropriate. Like I said, if I, if I said to you, you know, you call me, you say, we, we got our, our, our child was in an accident, we're down at the emergency room, uh, you know, I mean, is there anything you can do? I say, oh, I love you so much, I care about you so much, I'll come up and see you tomorrow. No, I'm going to come up and see you that day. I'll drop everything else. And if I didn't, you'd say, what's up with that? And so the disciples kind of got to be saying, what's up with this? Le- Mary and Martha got to be saying, what's up with Jesus? Why is he, why is he taking so long? And, and, and again, part of what's important for us to understand here is God's timing. Because what we need to understand, and this, part of what Jesus wants to teach us here, is that God's timing is not always our timing, but he's always right on time. God's timing is not always our timing, but he's always right on time. I mean, from Mary and Martha's point, from the disciples' point, what Jesus does here doesn't make any sense. 
And, and, and I think part of what John wants to teach us over and over again is that we ought to be careful about thinking we could figure God out. We talked about this last week. We've got to be careful about thinking we have all the answers. What Jesus does doesn't make any sense to any of us. If, if I did it, you would call the elders and report me. And yet that's what Jesus does. Because he loves them, he waits two days. Now we'll see at the end why. We'll see at the end why Jesus does this. But at this point, they don't get it. And, 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 and we should recognize that there are going to be a lot of times in following Jesus where we just don't get it. All right, then he tells the disciples it's time to go. Okay, so Jesus responds with those sorts of things. He waits two days and he says, let's go. Now, then the disciples, again, we're still in Bethany of Perea over there, they have some issues. They have some struggles with this, okay? Uh, the first one is this. But Rabbi, they said, um, just kind of a thought here. A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back. Do you really think this is a good idea? I, I mean, come on, we barely got out of there. Are you, are you sure you want to go back? You said it's not going to end in death. I mean, why don't we just kind of, you know, can't we just pray from here and send those things? Are you sure that you want to go? Jesus answered, again, kind of a confusing answer for the disciples. But he says, are, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night and they stumble, for they have no light. What? I, I think what we have to remember again is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He talked about that in 9, and he talked about that in chapter 8. I am the light of the world. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. It's still daytime. It's not the nighttime yet. Jesus knows nighttime is coming. Jesus knows that's coming, but it's not nighttime yet. We're still okay. So the disciples say, is it safe? Jesus says, yes, it's safe. And then Jesus says this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And the disciples respond the same way you and I would, right? I mean, if, 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 if I go into a hospital room and the person is sleeping, what's the last thing I'm going to do? Wake him up. I'm going to write him a note, say, I stopped by, you were sleeping, that's great. And so the disciples say, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. If he sleeps, he'll get better. Why should we go, we don't want to get, why are you going to wake him up? Now, John tells us Jesus had been speaking of his death, not sleeping. He'd been using that as a metaphor. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, which is a pretty easy thing to think about again, all right? So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Lazarus is dead. I want to just stop again. I, 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 what struck me so much this week and last week working through this story is just how confused the disciples must have been, how difficult all of this must have been for the disciples to try to figure out. Jesus says, hey, it's, he's dead and it's good for you that I wasn't there. Two kind of questions on this. Well, didn't Jesus say Lazarus wasn't going to die? Right? I mean, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And I'll tell you, if I say that to somebody, they're going to assume that person's not going to die. But that's not what Jesus means. Because what Jesus is doing is he's training his disciples and he's training us that we need to see death differently. And what's significant is what Jesus didn't say here. You see, Jesus didn't say, this sickness will not go through death. Now you might say, well, that's kind of semantics, Ron. That's not, but, that, but Jesus is teaching us semantics here. He's teaching us what do we look at death. And, and, and we have to understand, Jesus is trying to teach us that death is not the end, okay? Je Jesus wants us to know. And, and, and from a human standpoint, right, death is the end. We say where there is life, there is hope, right? 
As long as the person's breathing, they're hope. As long as the person, you know, if we can keep them on a ventilator, if we can, as long as, but once death comes, death comes. And so we say if it ends in death, if it goes through death, it's done. Jesus wants to say, guess what, friends? Death is not the end for me. Death is something that people go through. And so Jesus wants us to know, and this is at the core of our faith, that death is an enemy. There's no question about that. Jesus is not going to deny that. But he wants us to know that death isn't the end. Okay? This sickness will not end in death. Because death isn't the end. Lazarus is dead. But Lazarus is not done. And, and, and that understanding that death is an enemy, but death is not the end, is what holds us together. Twice in the last two weeks and three days, I have stood at gravesides. My brother-in-law and then Doris DeVries. In each of those cases, I led the committal service. I said, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But I said, what we do here today is we believe that this is not the end. We believe that this is not the end. My brother-in-law's cancer did not end in death. It's going through death. But that was not the end of him. My brother-in-law's cancer, Doris, did not end in death. The illness she faced did not end in death. It went through death. And that means death is still an enemy. Death still hurts. But it's not the end. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us in this story. So the disciples are still confused, right? Didn't Jesus say Lazarus wasn't going to die? They don't, they don't know that, what, that Jesus is making that distinction. You wouldn't have thought about it. And again, part of it, just, just keep reminding ourselves. When you find yourself confused, say, that's okay. The people who were closest to Jesus were confused a lot. But he got that right in the end, and I'm going to trust he knows what he's doing today as well, all right? The other thing is, how is it good that Jesus wasn't there? So glad for you that I wasn't there. And again, the disciples don't get it, but we saw that, and, and it's so true throughout this story. It's so the disciples will believe. Jesus wants people to believe. Jesus wants us to trust him. Jesus wants us to know that he's big enough to take care of us. So the disciples say, shouldn't we just let him sleep? Jesus says he's dead, and I'm glad, I, and it's good for you I wasn't there. And then Thomas. Thomas is, is the doubter, right? We know Thomas is the doubter. Many of us do anyway. But, but Thomas is also the most practical of the disciples. Okay, he's the one who's just kind of most practical. And so this is what happens. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. <laughs> All right, it's a good day to die hard. Let's just go, okay? Why not? I mean, Thomas is just like, look, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's go along. So they leave, all right? The disciples have issues, but they travel to just outside of Bethany. And that's where the, just outside of this little village of Bethany. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, let me just do a little math with you on some things, okay? It's a, two day, it's a one day trip, right? So if Mary and Martha sent these messengers on the first day, took that messenger one day, to get to Jesus and his disciples. Jesus waited two days. Now we're up to three total, right? Jesus waited two days, and then it was a day back. So it was four days ago that they sent the messenger. It must be that, that Lazarus died almost immediately after they sent this message. All right, Lazarus, Lazarus died almost immediately after they sent this message. In Jewish burial custom, you'd get buried the day. You'd get buried on the same day that you died. They would not wait, all right? So it's, it's, he was died four days ago. Jesus and his disciples come. Now, now, Bethany, John says, a little bit of a foreshadowing here. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them 
to Martha and Mary, rather, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. All right, so again, Bethany is safe. Jerusalem is dangerous, but we got a lot of people from Jerusalem here. Now, they're not angry at Jesus. They're just, they're just there to love Mary and Martha, okay? Martha and Mary, they're, they're supporting them. They do visitation. For seven days, they would sit Shiva, and people would come and visit in their grief, and they would spend that time with them. But, again, we now have a little bit of a challenge, okay? Jesus and his disciples are in Bethany. Bethany has always been safe, but now there are a lot of people from Jerusalem in Bethany, and so we've got a connection that will come important at the end. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Interesting, again, if you know the story in Luke about Mary and Martha, Martha's the doer, Mary's the one who's sitting. Martha goes, all right? So Jesus and his disciples come, Martha goes out, and look at what she says to him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She's a little ticked. She's a little frustrated with Jesus. Now, again, we can say, well, Martha, Jesus, Lazarus is dead before Jesus even got word, but he's Jesus, and she knows, he knows more than what he's led on, all right? And and so she said, come on, man, you did all these other things for other people, and if you had been here, you could have stopped this. Where were you? And and she challenges Jesus with that. And again, part of what I want to say is, it's okay. It's okay to challenge God on his timing. It's okay to say, God, I don't get it. God, I don't like the way this is working out. God, I don't like the fact that you're not acting in the way I want you to act right now. I still trust you. Martha still believes, but she's kind of ticked, okay? She does still believe, but she says, but I know. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now, God will give you, I believe. And and it kind of sounds like she's saying, you can raise him from the dead. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And, And you'd think she'd say, yeah, come on, let's go do this, right? No, that's not what she says. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I believe you can do anything, but death is a little too much, okay? And so Martha just kind of says, and Jesus says, Martha, you got to know something. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Not I have access to the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Again, believe, 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 believe all over the place. Martha, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So, outside of Bethany, Jesus, Martha's first. She says, if only you were here, but I still believe, I think. I'm trying. I think I believe. I think you can. I think you can, but I'm not really sure you can. So Martha goes back and says, Mary, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She just falls down at his feet and said the same words, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, she's kind of frustrated. Come on. And, and, and in fact, in the Greek, it's, it's the emphasis is on the, my brother. And, and, and I wonder if Mary isn't saying, you know, remember when you told me that I chose the better thing with my sister Martha? You told me I chose the better thing. This is my brother. I thought you loved me. This is my brother. And, and Mary says, I just I can't believe that you let this happen. I can't believe that you let this happen. And she just weeps, Okay. So Mary again says, same thing as Martha, if only you were here, and then she weeps. Now we see Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, okay? So Jesus is out there, picture the scene. Martha is there, Mary is weeping on the ground. Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and he's troubled. That word for deeply moved there is one that actually literally means he was angry. Jesus was ticked off. If you've ever wondered whether anger is an okay emotion, Jesus is ticked off. Jesus is angry, and if Jesus can be angry, then you can be angry sometimes too, and I can be angry sometimes too. Jesus is mad. I mean, the the word that is used here is of a horse snorting. I mean, it's, you know, that that sort of a, Jesus is, he's upset, and he's ticked, and he's angry, and he's troubled. He's hurt. He's sad question I want to think about is why. Why is Jesus angry and hurt? And, and it's interesting because, you know, we don't know for sure. And, and, and some people are, suggest that Jesus was angry at the people for weeping. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do? How can you be so sad that Jesus is anger at those who are weeping? Why don't they believe in him? Why don't they trust in him? Don't they know he told Martha he is the resurrection and the life? Some people say, no, it was a, it was a lack of faith. You know, is their lack of faith and, and, and just their inability to put their trust in him. That's, I don't think, why Jesus was angry. It wasn't his, the people for weeping. He wasn't mad at them for a lack of faith. And I don't think he was mad at his father for not saving Lazarus. <laughs> I mean, he's not saying, God, why did you do this? Why did you do this to me? Again, this is one of Jesus' best friends. And, and, and part of what we need to recognize here, and it'll come back at the end again, is, is in a sense Jesus knows Lazarus deserves to die. Because he's a sinner like all of us. And the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus is not saying, Father, this is completely unfair. How could you? I don't think he's angry at his father or at himself for not saving Lazarus. I think what Jesus is angry at is death and sin. Jesus is angry at what you and I ought to be angry at. Jesus is angry at all the hurt and all the pain and all the brokenness and all that's wrong in this world. And Jesus just gets ticked off because he knows that this world was created to be a place of joy and peace and community and love and giving and serving. And it's become a place of selfishness and brokenness and death. And Jesus is just so ticked off at how things are. He's so ticked off that it just just so breaks him. So he's deeply moved. And he's hurt at the same things you experience, all right? He's angry at, at, at the fact that somebody has to die like this, at the pain that people have to go through, at the brokenness in our world. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And, and maybe right then, maybe on the way, but before they get to the tomb, we come to the shortest verse in the Bible. And it's also one of the most important. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And it's not that a tear trickled down his cheek. That word for wept is he bawled like a baby. He sobbed. Jesus just breaks down. And if anybody tells you that Christians don't grieve, you remind them about John eleven thirty five, Because Jesus just weeps. And, and, and if you want to understand how amazing this is, realize... I'm going to tell you a little secret here. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. If you didn't know that, he's going to do that. He knows that now. He knows Lazarus is going to be, but, but death is so strong. Death is still such an enemy. Death is still so powerful that Jesus just breaks down and weeps. He just breaks down and he falls because it just hurts so much. He lost one of his best friends. 
And friends, that's the appropriate reaction. We grieve, we weep, we sob with hope, but we still grieve. So Jesus is angry and hurt. Martha says, if you were here, you could have done something, but I believe Mary says, if you were here, and she cries, Jesus is angry, he's hurt, and he weeps. And then there were some of the other people. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. He's crying for him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not... Could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So the others here, the Jewish people say, if only Jesus had come earlier again. Now notice something about everybody but Jesus in this scene, okay? Martha, Mary, and, and the others. Notice something about what they're saying. If only you were here, if only you were here, and couldn't he have done something if he had been here? And, and, and what, what John wants us to see is that these people believe Jesus is amazing. Martha and Mary know that Jesus can do miracles. But what they're saying is Jesus can do miracles to stop death, but once death comes, it's, do- it's over. If you'd been here before he died, you could have done something, but now he's dead and there's nothing you can do. And so the conclusion that they make is simply this, it's too late. It, it, it's too late. Up to this point, Jesus had done miracles with people who were sick. Jesus had done miracles with people who were dying. But Jesus had not done any miracles with somebody who was dead. And like us, they were tempted to say, well, now it's over. It has ended in death, and when it ends in death, it's over. It's done. It's gone. Let it go, Jesus. It's too late. If you had been here, you could have done something, but now we can't. So that's just outside of Bethany. Now they get to the tomb, at the tomb itself, all right? And here's a picture of a a tomb from that time, okay? Um, There would be a stone like that in front of it, um, and then there would kind of be two two places inside of it. And, and when, a, when a person died in the Jewish community, what they do, they wrap up his body, put the spices on it, and they put him in the first area, okay? In the first area there for seven days. And then after that, they'd move him back into the second area for a year, and then they'd gather the bones, okay? And, and so they would, you know, roll the stone away, put the body in there. A week later, roll away again, and then they'd move the body around. So that's where they are. They're standing there. Jesus, once more, very angry staring his enemy right in the face. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now here's Martha then who speaks next, right? Martha is the one who says, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe all this. But she doesn't believe Jesus can do anything about death. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He stinks, for he has been there for." days. A little more about Jewish death practices. What the Jewish people believed, what the Jewish people believed is that the spirit of a dead person would hang around the body for three days. But on the fourth day, decomposition had so set in the spirit would leave. And so they weren't declared legally dead until the fourth day. And in fact, um, there are practices later on, maybe in this time as well, that the Jewish people, what they would do is, is they would go to the, the tomb every, the first three days. And they'd call out, Lazarus! Lazarus, you okay? Coming out, maybe, live? Next day, Lazarus. Third day, Lazarus. Fourth day, no. He's gone. He's dead. He's really, really dead. That's why he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. I want them to know that you sent me, Father, that they may believe. Boy, we've read that word a lot, haven't we? 
that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And he said it louder than that. This is the loudest you can shout, okay? He shouts because he is so angry. He is so angry at what Satan has done in this world. He is so angry at death. He is so angry at this that he is just chomping at the bit to turn death backwards. He's chomping at the bit. Augustine says something really fun here. Because what Augustine says here is, is he had to make sure he used Lazarus because otherwise like 200 people would have come out of their graves. You know, I mean, that would have been a big problem. Everybody would have just said, come out! Everybody would have come out and there would have been all these other people and it would have been really confusing. And so he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And we get the answer to a very old philosophical question right here. What happens? What happens when an immovable object meets an irresistible force. Philosophers talk about that thing, right? What happens when an immovable object, something that cannot be moved, meets an irresistible force? What is going to happen at that moment? This is immovable. This is irresistible. What happens when death, the immovable object, meets Jesus, the irresistible force? Friends, what we celebrate, what we sing about, what we live for is that in that moment, Jesus wins. Jesus, the irresistible force, is stronger than the immovable object of death. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth wrapped around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the gra- off the grave clothes and let him go. Dale Bruner points out, this is a great little thought, that this is what, a lot of what we do in the church. Jesus raises people from the dead. You know what we do? We help them get off their dead clothes. That's called discipleship. It's getting off their old clothes so that they can live in new clothes. So at the tomb, Lazarus is raised. And and we're kind of tempted to stop here now, not just because I know it's, give me five more minutes, okay? We're kind of tempted to stop here. But but I told you, this story is a hinge. And you got to understand, for Jesus, this is important, but I don't think it's what's as important as what happens next. For Jesus, raising Lazarus is important, but what happens next is even more important, okay? So what are the results? What are the results? Therefore, two things. First, many of the Jews who had come to to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Why did Jesus want to do this? So people would believe in him. And so we get that. But, this is, I was going to say a big but, but that sounds wrong. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Okay, that's these Jewish people, Jerusalem from there. They went back to Jerusalem. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now we're in Jerusalem, okay? These people have come back, and they get together, and they start to talk, and they're saying, this is too much. This is too much. They know that if this word gets out, that Jesus has raised somebody from the dead, this is going to raise the stakes of Jesus. This is going to raise the people who are following him. This is going to cause bigger problems. And what they point out is that if there's a big problem, Rome is going to come and wipe out Israel, and all of us are going to be destroyed, okay? Okay? This is good. They're just, they're scared because they know that Jesus has a big following. But if he's raised somebody from the dead, this is too much. This is too far. And so they, they don't know what to do. But Caiaphas, the chief of the high priest, comes through. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Your kids, you don't dare take a stand. You gotta be tough in a situation like this. You do not realize. It's simple math, friends. It's simple math. It is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And Caiaphas is just trying to be very pragmatic here. And Caiaphas is saying, look, if we don't kill him, 
we are all going to get wiped out by the Romans. If we don't kill him now, then the Romans are going to, we're going to just have this huge uprising, we're going to have this huge problem, and everything is going to go south, and we are all going to die. Friends, it's simple math. Sometimes you have to sacrifice one in order to save the rest. And I'll be, isn't that why Jesus came? <laughs> He's trying to say, yeah, this is why we've got to kill him, and God is going in heaven. Yeah, exactly. This is why you've got to kill him. John points it out. He did not say this on his own. <laughs> Caiaphas did not come up with this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied. He prophesied, not trying to, that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So Caiaphas says, guys, here's what we got to do. We got to kill this one so not everybody else has to die. And God says, exactly, that's why I sent him. And so from that moment on, hinge of the book right here, John eleven fifty three. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And you see, this is why Jesus wanted to do this this way. This is why Jesus waited. This is why Jesus said it's better for you. This is why Jesus, it has to happen this way. None of the disciples would have gotten it. None of the disciples would have understand that what this was about was not really about Lazarus. What I want to suggest is this, this story is, yes, about Lazarus, but ultimately it's not about Lazarus. It's about you, it's about me, it's about everybody. See, Jesus knew what he was setting in motion. Tim Keller says, and I think he's exactly right, that Jesus knew that by raising Lazarus from the dead, he was signing his death warrant. Jesus was deliberately signing his death warrant. Jesus, in fact, wanted to set this in motion. Jesus needed to set this in motion because here's the deal. The only way for Jesus to get Lazarus out of the tomb is to put himself in it. The only way for Jesus to get Lazarus out of the tomb is to put himself in it. That's why I say Jesus was not upset with his father that Lazarus died. Lazarus deserved to die, just like you deserve to die, just like I deserve to die, because Lazarus was a sinner, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, and the only way for Jesus to get us out of the tomb is to put himself in it. And so why does Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Yes, so that they can believe. But even more importantly, so that he will be killed. Says, somebody does have to die. Somebody does have to die. But it's going to be Jesus. And the only way for Jesus to get Lazarus out, the only way for Jesus to get us out of the tomb, is to put himself in it. So the result, some believed in Jesus, and that was his goal. And others decided that Jesus needed to die. And that was his, I would say, bigger goal. Because Jesus knew that he was going to set Lazarus truly free. He had to die. So what does this mean? The story means is this. You and I, we can go from death to life. Friends, it is never too late. Things may end. Things may go through death. But because of Jesus Christ, things don't have to end in death. It is never too late. It is never too late because Jesus went from life to death and then back to life. That is the gospel. That is what John wants us to know. That is why I say this is the hinge point of the entire book. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and now I'm going to show you what it costs because the only way for us to give, have life is for Jesus to give his. And on that cross, he takes our place on that cross. I mean, that, that's, why, that's why this Lenten season is so essential. That's why we focus on the cross. It's why we take this time to do this because it is at that cross that Jesus dies my death and gives me his life. And the only way I can have life is for Jesus to die. 
Jesus raises Lazarus knowing he's signing his death warrant. The disciples are still terribly confused. They're going to be confused for a long time. And if you're confused, that's okay. But just know this. Jesus died so you could live. And join me in with all creation, saying, with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. It's the only response. When I survey the wondrous cross, I give Jesus everything. Everything. Let's pray together. Father, this is a really interesting story. And we like Lazarus being raised from the dead, but remind us what it cost you. Father, remind us what it cost you for all of us to be raised. Teach us to love you and teach us to love each other in the same way. In your name we pray, amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction. Again, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room. If you want to talk with them or pray with them, be happy to meet with you. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we, may we know that we live because Jesus died. Go in God's grace. Amen.